0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with Oksana Kis, author of Survival as a Victory, Ukrainian Women in the Gulag, published in 2020 as part of Harvard series in Ukrainian Studies, Ukrainian Research Institute, Harvard University. Oksana Kis is a historian and anthropologist, who works in Ukrainian women's history, feminist anthropology, oral history, and gender transformations in post-socialist societies. She's a senior research fellow at the Institute of Ethnology, National Academy of Sciences of Ukraine, and the president of the Ukrainian Association for Research in Women's History. Hello, Oksana. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today, and congratulations on the publication uh, publication of this fascinating volume. Uh, the sub- Thank, you. Thank you for inviting me to talk about my book. The subtitle of the book is Ukrainian Women in the Gulag, and it makes the project unique and pioneering in many ways. And in the introduction, you specify some points. Not only does the research focus on a specific national ethnic group, uh, it also emphasizes communities of women in the Gulag. As a rule, the Gulag uh, studies would be associated with uh, Russians or Soviets, and uh, the majority of the studies would not specify women in particular. How does the book intervene uh, with the previous Gulag studies? Uh, Also, how does it expand the current Gulag studies? And uh, probably one more question here, how many Ukrainians, men and women, were detained in the Gulag?
0: Well, I consider my contribution to the GULAG studies threefold. Uh, First, my study makes GULAG history more human-centered, human-oriented. It also complement our knowledge on national and gender dimensions of prisoners' experiences. Uh, I've been using anthropological approach in my research on the GULAG as I attempted to shift the focus from institutional and political history of this Penitentiary and, and repressive institution to more human-centered history to explore experiences of those who constituted the Gulag population, the prisoners actually. So I wanted to explore what happened to human beings and more specifically to Ukrainian women in the captivity. Um, the Gulag as an institution existed since 1930s, but the Gulag studies actually started only in the 90s after the Soviet archives, uh, the archives of the Gulag and, and kavadir archives, became open to the scholars. And um, uh, since the 90s, the Gulag studies made a tremendous progress, and a substantial body of literature appeared. And the problem problem of the post-Soviet history writing on the Gulag is its main focus on the institution and the researchers who studied the gulag uh, focused on its establishment, uh, its evolution, its structure and management and functioning, its demography, its economy, and the number of prisoners and the number of victims. But they don't really explore the prisoners' lives in the captivity. And by the contrast, since the early 2000s, Starting with the groundbreaking work of Anne Applebaum, uh, Western scholars who studied the Gulag have been paying, like, more attention to the people in the camps, and they analyzed the inmates' social backgrounds and the health conditions and their diet and m- mortality rates and so on and so forth. Um, and here I, I'd like to to focus on the studies by Stephen Barnes and recent book by Golf Alexopoulos and Lynn Viola and Veronika Shapovalov and others who tried to focus more on human experiences. And they also ex- examined the dehumanizing nature of the GULAG system and its impact on the Soviet society at large. But in both cases, however, there is too little written on gender peculiarities of women, women's experiences in the, uh, in the captivity. And the Ukrainians, as an ethnic group, slip out of scholar sites completely, as the majority of those studies are based heavily based on the Russian memoirs, the, the memoirs written and published in Russian language. And my research brings both Ukrainians and female political prisoners to the front of the Gulag studies, exploring both gender and national dimensions of living through the long-term incarceration. And I'm trying to understand what was special about being a woman and being a Ukrainian in the captivity. And uh, when it comes to the numbers, we have to be aware that Ukrainians made up to 20% of the Gulag population in the 40s and 50s. And in some special camps, they constituted about half of the inmates. So it was a large group. And women also constituted about one third of the inmates in post-war years. So the experiences of these two large groups, groups of prisoners are really underrepresented in the Gulag studies and very little has been written on everyday lives of women behind bars, except perhaps perhaps for the only book by Katrin Joluk and her solid research on Polish women in Soviet exile. And the Ukrainians are virtually invisible in major research on Gulag history. So. Um, I, I believe that we cannot just discard or neglect two large groups of prisoners if we aspire to reconstruct a comprehensive and accurate history of the gulag. Like more different voices are to be heard and taken into account. And that is what I try to, to do with my book. Um,
1: thank you. Thank you, Oksana. Yes, um, that's uh, quite um Shocking, I would say, 20% of all the Gulag um, prisoners and this group, uh, for some reason, was not visible uh, for uh, many years. Uh, could you uh, tell us a little bit about the fieldwork? What material was uh, included? What archives were used? And what was the most challenging in this project?
0: Um, for my study... I used about 150 women's first-hand uh, accounts of surviving the Gulag. Most of the memories are ethnic Ukrainians from the predominantly from the western regions of Ukraine who have been sentenced uh, for real or alleged collaboration with the Ukrainian nationalist anti-Soviet underground during and after the Second World War. There are also some testimonies by the representatives of other nations like Jewish, Russian, Polish, German women who spent long time with Ukrainian women in camps and recalled those experiences in their memoirs. The uh, testimonies are used very greatly in genre from large and very detailed autobiographies to very brief letters. Uh, and to the oral history interviews recorded for different oral history projects. Those testimonies differ in size, like there are long and there are short ones. Um, There are different styles of narration and those um, memoirs have been produced in different times and for different purposes, sometimes for the family members only or for other audiences. And they, they are published and unpublished. Some of them are preserved in oral history archives uh, attached to some museums. Uh, the others are preserved in family archives and they are um, widely available for scholars. So sometimes it was quite difficult to uh, to reach, to access those memoirs, uh, to uh, include uh, their uh, uh, those voices in in my in my book uh, but despite all those differences all that variety of uh, of texts i'm using i believe that taken together those memoirs complement and cross-verify each other and they form as a kind of meta narrative about women's experiences of the gulag a story that raises themes that are the most relevant for the women, uh, they traces uh, clearly universal subjects and standard situations, and they illustrate extremely similar experiences and concerns, regardless of the specific details. Uh, For me, it's not that much important uh, what time women discuss or what specific uh, camp they've been at the moment they recall. For me, it's much more important. What is really important is to understand what all the phenomena that were universal features of the camp life meant uh, to the women, like hunger and cold and disease and debilitating labor and lack of clothing and filth and humiliation and violence and physical and emotional exhaustion and homesickness and face and separation from children and information isolation, and so on and so forth. So I track how the women adopted, survived, and resisted under these circumstances in order to understand what precisely helped them to save their physical health and sanity in the most critical moments of their imprisonment. So there are very different sources I'm using, but. I believe that taken together, they could help us to reconstruct the story of Ukrainian women living through the Gulag.
1: Uh, You already uh, touched upon um, some aspects with which um, uh, Ukrainian women uh, were confronted and with which they had to, to deal. Uh, there is another section in your book which focuses on religion. Uh, so would you uh, tell, uh, tell us a little bit about um, how important, how significant religion was for the Ukrainian women and uh, what religion manifestations prevailed?
0: Uh, well, the Christian faith and religious practices, related religious practices, behind bars, were extremely important for my subjects. And uh, I already said that most of my narrators come from from the western Ukrainian regions, uh, from Galicia, Bukovina, Transcarpathia, Volynia, the territories which didn't belong to the Soviet Union. They were not under Soviet rule before the Second World War. And that means that those women have been raised in a very religious um, society. They have not been exposed to the militant uh, uh, atheism policies of the Soviet regime. So their Christian faith and their religious practices were like integral parts of their daily lives. And uh, their religiosity was one of the core elements of their Personalities. So, so they were not prepared to give up, to give up their faith uh, upon arrest. And despite strict strict prohibitions and severe penalties, women continued to pray individually and in groups. They procured and kept and used religious items like crosses and beads and prayer books. Very rare you know items in the in the captivity and they also uh, made and used small icons and they organized improvised divine uh, masses and celebrated easter and christmas and those activities took place on the regular basis and they constituted an integral part of, of women's lives in the captivity uh, stiffing the spirit of those imprisoned women and enhancing their mental endurance that was extremely important in terms of um uh, stressing their souls and um, in that relation i'd like to stress one important aspect of those religious practices which impressed me perhaps the most in many cases women took over the roles of a priest and a deacon and mm-hmm. conducted liturgies, the divine masses. Paradoxically, under the circumstances of virtually total deprivation of civil rights and radical restraint of opportunities, these practices of improvised divine masses provided Ukrainian women with completely new, unique experiences of church service and religious leadership or pastorate or um, priesthood. As a matter of fact, never in their normal lives, before the captivity, those women have had any chance to play a central or leading role in the crucial church ritual, as a priest or a, as a deacon. That new religious experience, although induced by circumstances, may be understood as a kind of emancipation. For the first time, Ukrainian women have got access to a sphere and roles previously totally forbidden and close to them. So remarkably, despite the awareness of transgressing the church norms, the former Gulag prisoners, those women, deeply religious women, they speak, they recall those experiences with pride and thrill. So they don't feel guilty for transgressing the church norms. And I find this really absolutely astonishing experience, which. Has to be explored in depth, perhaps by other scholars. But that is some some kind of phenomenon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, there were some transgressions. However, there were still some topics which were tabooed um, uh, while in the captivity. So, what what topics for the uh, Ukrainian women in particular were tabooed still?
0: Well, no wonder that the subject of a woman's body and sexuality are among those the most taboo in the Ukrainian women, women's memoir. Those are the blind spots. Ukrainian women extremely rarely talk about their bodies and sexuality in the captivity. And mentions of the loss of bodily integrity or of sexualized violence like forced nudity, body searches, wiryism, not to mention sexual harassment or rape, are uh, presented very tersely and filled with negative emotions. Even when they turn to this kind of subject matter, there is a noticeable self-censorship. Most often women limit themselves to a, just few short phrases like euphemism and so on. They really don't want to explore these topics. And this evasiveness probably resulted from traditional social norms of, of communication Um, as any public discussion of such intimate issues consider it demovatome. So for memories, it is problematic to verbalize such experiences in public. Uh, But on the other hand, it is very likely that the camp sexual experience was very traumatic and imbued with humiliation and feeling of shame and guilt. So the narrators prefer to avoid those topics altogether.
1: I would like to go back to the uh, title of the book. So how uh, can we conceptualize the notion of survival? Uh, there are a lot of layers that your research offers, gender, national, and existential. What interpretation of survival do you emphasize? Effectively, the
0: main goal of long-term sentences for political prisoners who opposed the Soviet regime was to isolate, to punish, and to re-educate or re them. And achieving that goal required the, the disintegration of a prisoner's self, the destruction of mm-hmm. their basic social identity. So, mm-hmm. um, Achieving that, this goal required the disintegration of a prisoner's self, the destruction of their basic social identity and the erosion of their established value system and beliefs. And the objective of the Gulag system was to turn them into a homogeneous, amorphous human mass with no recognizable social identity, be that gender, nationality, religion, political persuasion, and so on. And the Gulag system used a variety of techniques like hunger, total control of behavior, harsh climate, backbreaking labor, unacceptable living conditions isolation, and the absence of proper medical care, and so on. All this was intended to reduce the prisoner's interest to physical survival at any cost. So the prisoner's goal was to retain their, human, their humanity, to remain a human being in a full sense, not only to preserve one's body from destruction, but also to maintain sanity, and to sustain one's core social identities, gender, national, religious, and others. By looking closely at different sites of camp life, I attempt to uncover what was important or even decisive for their survival, what helped these women to save their lives, uh, their physical health, but also to preserve their individuality and sanity from complete disintegration. Some of uh, the issues that my book specifically looks at are the means of supporting and representing those key social identities like gender, nation and religion and corresponding value systems in uh, seemingly trivial daily activities and behaviors of Ukrainian political prisoners. And the main objective of my study is to uncover and examine those little-noticed yet effective manifestations of the women's agency that helped these women to resist the disruptive, destructive impact of the system on their bodies and minds and to remain a human being, a woman, a Ukrainian, a Christian, and so on, under the conditions where the opportunities, rights, and resources were limited to the extreme. Those included such uh, trivial activities as housekeeping, for instance, group singing, different arts and crafts like embroidering and drawing and poetry writing, or personal hygiene, and many others quite typical female practices which turned into survival skills and tools in the captivity. Through practicing their normative gender, national, and religious activities, women were able to maintain those identities and thus preserve their personalities in the
1: soul-crushing machine
0: of the Gulag. Uh,
1: The Gulag is inseparable from the totalitarian regime. What do the uh, Ukrainian women's practices in the Gulag tell us about the totalitarian regime?
0: Um, The Ukrainian women's experiences in the Gulag actually questioned the very ability of the Soviet regime to establish total control over its citizens, even over the most disenfranchised of them. The guards and the camps overseers could not possibly constantly control all all the aspects of of the everyday lives of the prisoners, especially when in the barks and despite of the countless prohibitions and restrictions and severe punishments for violations, the the prisoners led a hidden life in their barracks, turning them into a space of uh, so-called collective privacy. Those uh, forbidden pleasures included, as I said, praying, singing, versifying, and embroidering, and relating personal stories and literary works and teaching one another and so on. In this way, I believe a barrack became uh, that living space where a prisoner, uh, a prisoner counterculture was born and it took shape and evolved. And that allowed the women to nurture and to maintain their threatened social identities and resist the destructive effects of the imprisonment. Within a barrack, women were able to control at least something in their lives in the captivity. In the barracks, women lived in a parallel reality that functioned according to the rules of normal lives. They remained normal women while in the barracks. And so this space effectively undermined the aim of total control through those minor but permanent and large-scale transgressions of the camp's rules and regulations Women actually exposed the failure of totalitarian regime to exercise a control, um, a total control. Its inability to subjugate all of its antagonists. So, through all those minor gendered practices I listed and I explored in my books, in my book, women actually proved that the totalitarian regime is not totalitarian. That they, cannot, they can remember, re, remain uh, free citizens inside their souls and they continue to resist by practicing their normal social identities in the Gulag which aim to destroy those identities. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just have a quick follow-up question on this. Uh, um, You said that um, the uh, Ukrainian women tried to maintain this normal life. Um, And I'm curious about this um, notion of the normal or normalcy. Wasn't it somehow, however, shifted by those practices that the women had to engage with, as you, for example, pointed out with their religious practices when women were acting as priests For instance,
0: of course, those practices in the barracks, they were not totally normal, Um, but that was a semblance of normalcy. But but that was something which reminded women who they are. At least they tried to to, uh, to remain the the normal women following the Uh, certain um, gender stereotypes uh, and the 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 ideas of normative femininity they've been socialized within so they try to continue to behave like a normal woman a normal ukrainian a normal christian should behave they try try to treat one another as christians they try to treat one another as family members for instance they cared for one another they uh, maintained a kind of hominess in their barracks trying to domesticate them to uh, turn them into a substitute of a home uh, to decorate them with those barracks and so on so by practicing their identities through those like normal practices through activities, they consider it to be the part of their normative identities. They maintain those identities, although it it wasn't the same as in, in their normal lives before detention. So, uh, I I would say that the the the, uh, the normative femininity as a complex of ideas and norms about what a normal woman supposed to be by continuing to behave like everything is okay, like they remain the same women, the same Ukrainians, the same Christians. They continue to insist that although their normal life has fallen apart and um, they they found themselves in the um, uh, totally... um, alien, and hostile environment. But inside themselves, they remain the same human beings and they continue to follow the rules and the norms of their culture. And that was, I, I believe, the core of their survival, uh, to, to stick to their value systems and to their um, beliefs and to continue despite all the circumstances, to um, practice what they consider to be the right thing to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, your book covers a lot of uh, material a lot of information and you also pointed out that there is still so much to uh, discover and uh, uncover uh, in terms of the gulag studies is your current uh, project in any way connected with with this book
0: my current project is also about the everyday life in the camp <laughs> but those are completely different kinds of camps. Um, uh, since like two years ago, I started a project about Ukrainian refugees um, who fled Ukraine um, at the end of the Second World War when the Soviet, the Red Army approached, it, who um, headed to to the west, and who spent several years in the. A specific um, setting uh, called the Displaced Persons Camps, the DP camps. Uh, Ukrainians who didn't want to live under the Soviet regime, who were fed up with the Soviet regime, and who really wanted to, to continue their lives and who looked for better chances in the Western democracies, and who left Ukraine following the the nazi army who um, uh, who was like escaping the uh, approaching uh, red army and they uh, spent many years in those camps and those were the communities which functioned um, in a very specific way self-organized way and the Civic society existed there, and my research is focused on the everyday lives of those people who resided in those communities, starting from housing and provision and like everyday issues, uh, and up to their spiritual life, Christianity, celebrations, political activities, um, and so on and so forth, because uh, that, that was a very vibrant life and very, the lively communities who, for, for, for perhaps for the first time in the Ukrainian history, tried to build uh, their communal life according to the, their ideas of what is uh, what what supposed to be uh, a Ukrainian nation state, on, uh, although in a, on a smaller scale. So that was my subject. I have conducted uh, several dozens of interviews with former DP residents who currently are the citizens of of Canada and the United States. And I also try to explore uh, the periodicals published in those camps. And I'm going also to Uh, work on the archives, which are preserved in North American, Ukrainian institutions. So hopefully I I will write another book about other types of camps, which are not that uh, uh, dark story of suffering, but to the contrary, a story of hope. (laughs)
1: Wonderful. Well, I look forward to reading your new books, um, your new projects on these um, um, on these uh, issues. Well, thank you so much, uh, Oksana, for this conversation today. uh, And thank you for this research that gives visibility to the uh, Ukrainian women detained in the Gulag, uh, as well as thank you for, again, uh, taking our attention back to the individual and to the uh, survival techniques that the individual may uh, somehow engage with uh, while being in these extreme situations. Thank you so much for your research, Oksana. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Today I spoke with Oksana Kies, author of Survival as Victory, Ukrainian Women in the Gulag, published in 2020 as part of Harvard series in Ukrainian Studies, Ukrainian Research Institute, Harvard University. Thank you for listening to New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.